Every hymn we sing should teach us great, deep truths, and uh, there is another wonderful truth. The first hymn, once saved, always saved. Uh, this hymn, our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Let not your sin keep you lingering outside. Uh, come in. There's plenteous grace through the Lord Jesus Christ, enough to cover all our sin. Lovely seeing quite a number of children here again uh, this evening. I don't know if you can see my little friend here, children, but he listens to my sermons really well. Let me put him this side. Most children are over that side. Uh, so, Bing, he'll be listening throughout the service. If you can sit nice and, and quietly, that'll be, uh, that'll be lovely. If the children need to go out at some point, they can go into the hall uh, at the back, but you need to stay uh, with them. Now then, we're making our final push here in Romans chapter 11, uh, a final push towards the conclusion of a, a great question that Paul has been posing. What about God's promises to Israel? And chapter 11 and verse 1, Paul asks a very pointed question. I ask then, has God rejected his people? And his answer is very powerful, by no means. And then again in verse 11 of chapter 11, so I ask, did they, that's the Jews, stumble in order that they might fall? Is their problem with the gospel a final one? Is their stumbling over faith alone in Christ alone for righteousness? They're stumbling at that truth. Is it a final stumbling? Are they going to fall forever? And again, a very powerful answer from the apostle inspired by the Spirit by no means. But God has got his purposes and his plan. Uh, throughout the ages, uh, we have to see that God is in full control uh, of all things. Nothing thwarts the plan or the purposes of God. At times, the ways of providence seem mysterious to us, but God is working out his purposes. And with the stumbling of the Jews over the pure gospel, We've learned of three immediate consequences that come from the uh, Jews' rejection of faith alone in Christ alone, the very heart of the gospel. First of all, we've seen over the weeks, the Jews stumbling at the gospel means this, that this gospel message is preached to the nations, to the Gentiles, had they accepted it wholeheartedly, you can well see it would have stayed within the boundaries of Israel. But it was the persecution that began in Jerusalem that thrust believers out and they took with them the gospel message. Whenever Paul goes to a city, he begins in the synagogue and some Jews believe, many reject, begin to persecute and Paul then goes to the Gentiles to their great joy and rejoicing. So one immediate consequence of the stumbling of the Jewish nation over the gospel is that this gospel is then preached to the nations. Second consequence that Paul brings out is that the Gentiles now receiving the blessings that the gospel brings provoke jealousy and envy amongst the Jews. And in that way, some of the Jews are then saved. And those things have been happening 
right from the very first preaching of the gospel, uh, right up to 2021. And as long as the Lord tarries, that will be going on. The gospel preached to the nations, some Jews becoming envious, and they in turn turning to Christ. But there is a fourth consequence that's been building up uh, in chapter 11 of the Jews' rejection and stumbling over the gospel. A fourth consequence which is still future. It seems at some future date there will be a great influx of Jews into the kingdom. So verse 12, for example. Now if there, that's the uh, Jews, trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? And verse 15. For if there, the Jews' rejection, means reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? And last week we looked at verse 16. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. God still has plans for his people. Let me read verse 23 as well. And even they, he's speaking of the Jews again now, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, back into the olive tree. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you, you Gentiles, were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So that's a bit of revision. But now we come to verse 25. And verses 25 through to 27 are prophetic verses where Paul is inspired by the Spirit to tell his hearers then and now that this re-engrafting of the natural olive branches that God has the power to do will actually happen. This re-engrafting is going to take place. Verse 25. He's speaking, remember now, to the Gentiles. Verse 25. Lest you, Gentiles, be wise in your own sight, I do not want you, Gentiles, to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. Speaking again to the Gentiles, so if we're not a Jew here tonight, national Jews, ethnic Jews, then we are Gentiles. Unless you be wise in your own sight. What's he saying here? What is it to be wise in your own sight? That's something of conceit there. He's mentioned this before. Don't be proud. Don't be arrogant. Lest you be wise in your own Sight, lest you be proud. I'm going to tell you something. 
and for the Gentiles and for any Christian, there really is no room for pride. It's dealt with in verse 18. Do not be arrogant towards the branches. So you Gentiles, don't be arrogant towards the Jews. And back in verse, um, verse 19. But then you will say branches were broken off so I might be grafted in. Well, that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. Let's to pause there again. Arrogance and pride should be infinitely distant from any Christian. If we think that we're anything at all, there's a big red flag. Arrogance and pride had its origin and source from the very pits of hell. It began in the hearts of Lucifer, son of the dawn, who thought, I'll, I'm not happy with my place as a guardian cherub. I want to take my throne above that of the Most High. Uh, he's cast down. He comes to Adam and Eve with the same guys, and uh, God wants to keep you down. It's time that you, you rose up. And we fell in the Garden of Eden. But Christ has put an end to sin on Calvary. And we gaze at him, his magnificent person and his work. How can there be any arrogance and pride in the life of any Christian? There ought to be always a deep humility, constant humility. But we like to be wise in our own sight. So Paul wants to tell these Gentiles something. I want to cut you out from being proud, lest you be wise in your own sight, lest you become proud. I do not want you to be unaware. That means I want you to understand. But he puts it negatively to emphasise the point. There's something I do not want you to be unaware of, my Gentile friends, he's saying. Positively, I want you to understand. So I don't want you to be proud, and I want you to understand what? This mystery. Now, a mystery is something you'll not work out by yourself. It has to be uh, revealed, and the Word of God is revealing it to us. But here's a mystery, and I want, I want you to understand this mystery. It's lovely he uses the term brothers, so here's Paul, and he's a Jew. He's speaking to Gentiles, and the gospel has done something wonderful. It's broken down the dividing wall. We're all one in Christ. We are brothers. So I don't want you to be wise in your own sight, and I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. Well, what is this mystery? I think the word mystery is, is key. It's a hidden purpose of God, and it's a mystery that is now revealed. And it's something I, I believe is key to understanding this passage. What is happening here and now in 2021? What's been happening throughout the gospel age? Well, here it is. Here's the mystery he's revealing to them. And he's writing this around about 60 uh, AD. Here's the mystery. A partial hardening has come upon 
Israel. Now, clearly he means national Israel. Until, so that harden is going to pass, but it will be there until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Well, what is that? Until the last Gentile believes there are an elect number of Gentiles. God will have people in every tribe, nation and language. And Jesus, in his prophetic statements at the end of the Gospels, talks about the Gospel being preached as a witness to all nations and then the end will come. And in heaven there will be people from every tribe and nation and language. And we can be very clever and get our calculators out. Well, not every language group is yet included, so Christ can't come tonight. But we don't know what God has done in the past in those language groups. Maybe they're already there. Lest you be wise in your own sight, don't try and second-guess God. But here's a mystery that I'm revealing by the power of the Spirit, says Paul. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. Don't be proud or arrogant. Oh, we believed and you didn't. No, their hardening has been a blessing to us. And the blessing to us has made them envious and jealous and some have come to faith. But still there's a partial hardening amongst people who were born Jews. But it's a partial one until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And... Then, verse 26, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, here's the big question. What is meant by all Israel? Here is the view that I began with. And if you hold this view, that's fine. I have no dispute with you. I refuse to argue on the matter. I'll not be drawn into any lengthy conversation on the matter. We have more important things to speak about. But my view was, and it's a view held by uh, such esteemed people as William Hendrickson, that all Israel means the elect from the Jews and from the Gentiles throughout the ages, all Israel is going to be saved. And it will be a steady flow, times of revival, ups and downs, desolation, renewal, but the elect being gathered in, a steady flow through the years. And that is a great truth. Of course that is true. It's absolutely true. But is it being taught here? Is that the emphasis here? That it is true... There is no doubt that that is true. That all Israel means all Jews, all Gentiles who have believed through the ages and are steady uh, in gathering. And when the last one has believed, then the end will come. But does that fit with the flow of Romans chapter 11? Where Paul is inspired to contrast the Gentiles and the Jews ethnic Jews and Gentiles throughout the whole of the passage? And is the slow, steady inclusion of Jews and Gentiles through the ages 
Is that a mystery that needs to be revealed to you and I? Isn't that something plain and obvious throughout the whole of the Bible? And we as Reformed people well understand that, that God will save his people. Uh, How is that anything of a mystery? I believe that the mystery is this. That all Israel means exactly what it says. There will be some point in the future, and God alone knows the time. It'll be just to the point before the return of Jesus Christ. It'll be as the last Gentile has believed. Then God will do a powerful work in the nation of his ancient people, and all Israel will be saved. Now, reading Tim Keller, he says, does it mean every single Jew? He doubts that, but a great majority, a vast influx. I've been uh, leaning heavily on a man, an Anglican from the 19th century called Henry Alford. And uh, he maintains in his commentaries that it will be every single Jew on planet Earth at that particular time will be gathered in. And it can happen in an instant. The first redemption from Israel happened overnight. At the darkest point, God suddenly stepped in and redeemed his people from Egypt. And if we are waiting before we believe, to wait for the Jews to come in, ah, well, it's time I believe now, my friends. You're in a perilous position. Because God can do it tonight in Israel. He can pass through the land tonight and regenerate every heart in a a nation It's happened in Wales, not everybody, but a large proportion of the population from their darkest points in a public house suddenly being regenerated and flocking into chapels like this that were built to house the people who were flooding in under the mighty hand of God. I want to show you a mystery, says Paul, lest you be conceited in your attitudes toward the Jews. No, it's only a partial hardening. Until the fullness of the Gentiles come in, and in this way all Israel will be saved. And by saved, he wants to make that very clear. He quotes extensively now from Isaiah and from Jeremiah. And uh, we have these verses. The deliverer will come from Zion. Clearly, this is Jesus, and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So, that's my conclusion, really, to Romans chapter 11. Said in the past, somewhat reluctantly, I believe there will be a time, God only knows the dates, when there will be, and I think it's quite likely, it will be a rapid ingathering of Jews just before the Lord returns. If you disagree with that, That's absolutely fine. You stand along people, such good men as William Hendrickson and uh, Stuart Olliott, and uh, good men can disagree on this. But that is my considered conclusion and thoughts on this particular passage. Whichever view we take, there's a lesson to draw from this, that God will save his people. And the nations are up and down and in tumult and and uproar, to see through it all that God is in full control. He's not mocked. He's not caught out. 
He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And whatever view we might take, there is a precise number that will be saved. And God knows his people. And he is including his people into this olive tree. And he's working out his purposes. And in that number, praise God, if you're a Christian, you are in that number. If you're not yet in the number, maybe you're the one that's missing to come in before this great influx of of Jews into the kingdom. But there is a precise number. And by the grace of God, it includes me. And does it include you? And you and I need to press on with our God-given task tonight. And that is to make the gospel known. Make it known. The way we live our lives, our attitudes, our conduct, our utter humility in a proud and an arrogant world. Help us to display the meekness and the humility of Christ and take the opportunities to speak. And in that manner, as we do that, and are obedient to that great commission to make the good news known to the whole world, we're involved in doing something very wonderful. We are actually hastening this day. As Peter puts it, 2 Peter 3, verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? According to his promise, We are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. But we are able to actually hasten the coming of that day, that in gathering of the Gentiles, whatever your view might be, I believe that great in gathering then uh, of Jews. Let me conclude tonight with just some comments, brief ones on the rest of the passage here. Verses 28 and 29 tell us this. God's promises can never fail. God's promises are irrevocable. Verse 28. Speaking again of the Jews then, as regards the gospel, they, the Jews, are enemies. Why? For your sake. The fact they reject the gospel means it's been declared to us. It's gone out into the whole world. It came to Britain. It's gone to America. It's the whole world world over there being enemies it's for our sakes but as regards election they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers who the Jews as regards election they the Jews are beloved this powerful word proginosco the foreknowledge of God he loved them before the foundation of the world Jews and Gentiles he's focusing now on, on the Jews They are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. Why? Verse 29, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God's promises, they can never be frustrated. And God has made promises to his ancient people. They will be fulfilled. And so for us too, we can be sure God will keep his promises. He will hold me fast. Remember the climactic end to Romans chapter 8 that really provoked under the work of the Spirit 
in Paul the need for chapters 9, 10 and 11. Remember the end of Romans chapter 8. Let me read from verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's sure promise, he will hold me fast, once saved, always saved. And that great climactic end to Romans chapter 8, the eternal security based on the promises of God, provoked the question, well, what about the Jews? And the promises he made to his ancient people Israel. They seem to have failed. And that's Romans 9, 10, 11. It's taken us a year to go through it, so I won't recap tonight. God's promises will never, ever fail. And verses 30 through to 32, God's mercy is supreme. If I end up in heaven, it will be by the mercy of God and I will make no contribution to it whatsoever. It will all be the mercy of God. I'll have no flag to fly. Look at his argument here, verses 30 through to 32. For just as you, Gentiles, were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their, the Jews, disobedience. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience. We have to understand we're sinners. That he may have mercy on all. The only way, my friend, you will ever be saved is to see your need, your utter helplessness and hopelessness. There's no merit in what you do. It's not your family, not your church going. It's not being born a Jew. It's not being born of Christian parents. It's not being a member of any church. It's not being baptised. It's not your good works. It's not collecting for good causes. It's not being a deacon or a pastor or a preacher. What gets me into heaven it's mercy all the way. It is mercy all, immense and free. Anybody who wants to raise a flag and say, ah, but I, you missed it, you missed it. You're a dead branch, you'll be cut off. The only way is to see that I'm disobedient, I'm a sinner, helpless, hopeless. There's nothing I can do. And I throw myself like the uh, tax collector in the, synagogue, the temple, throw myself on the mercy of God. <laughs> oh, I thank you I'm not like other men, says the Pharisee. He wants to parade, there's the pride. 
preening arrogance. I'm, I fast, I, I pray. I'm not like this tax collector. He won't even lift his eyes up. There's humility. God, have mercy on me. A sinner, a sinner. Once you've seen your need, God will show you the answer. Tis mercy all, immense and free. For oh my God, it found out me. Has it found out you? Go to Jesus now while you have the opportunity. This thing at home, you might be very young. I think the youngest person I know who was converted was a child of three. I can't remember the oldest person I know who came to faith, but um, as long as you're breathing, there's hope. You can trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on him. Believe on him. He's done it all for you. It's all of mercy. He lived for you. He died for you. He rose again. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and do it now. And if you are a Christian who's known salvation in Christ, stay humble. Just stay humble. Um, It's a beautiful, beautiful grace. And the world takes note and is astonished by it. It sees a lot of arrogance and pride out there. But let's look to be like our Saviour, who was meek and lowly of heart. May God help us. And God willing, next time we'll look at this uh, amazing doxology that uh, Paul bursts out with, again inspired by the Spirit, as a conclusion to all that he's been shown in Romans uh, so far. Let's, Let's pray. Father, thank you for a brief time in your word. Some things here are difficult to understand and some things good men and women might disagree on. But we thank you we all agree on our helplessness and hopelessness and we all agree on the glory of Jesus Christ and all he's done for us. And we have to say it is mercy all, immense and free. For oh my God, it found out me. We pray that we will be a humble people and used of you to bring many to begin to envy what we have in Christ, that they might be drawn into the everlasting kingdom before it is too late. To God be the glory, we pray. Amen.